Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Well, thank you. It's just a great honor always to be here with you guys and to get to hang out with this amazing family uh, man, I just like, I got to get my family together. I like these guys, just, you know, dunking their son in cold water and stuff like that. Such a, such a thrill. And um, uh, so I uh, just a l- real quick here, just uh, kind of sh- what you, you go through different seasons of your life and you go through different seasons in ministry. And so um, uh, at this season in Pam and I's life, uh, we really feel uh, that a calling of God on our life is to equip young leaders, young people uh, to do the works of the ministry, to equip them and to give them tools. And so my, uh, my style or whatever you want to call it of, of teaching, speaking, is to give you tools that you can walk away with. It's not like... You know, uh, I, I, was, I don't even know how many thousands of messages I preach. I, you know, as a pastor for 32 years, and you think about at least almost 50, you know, Sundays a month, you're going to be <laughs> preaching messages, plus then Wednesday nights and other whatever things you're going to be preaching. And you're preaching all these messages, and probably, uh, you know, when people will, 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 you know, come walking out of the service at the end of the service like, Man, that was a great message, Pastor Fred. That was so great. That was so great. And then I'll say, well, what did I say? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I have no idea what you said, but it was really good. Well, we got to get past that. <laughs> because if you can't walk out with something, then why are you here right now, right? <laughs> I mean, why did you come? And so today I'm going to give you one, I think, of one of the most uh, valuable tools uh, that will help you personally, that will change your family, change your destiny, change your life. You know, I know those are kind of big words, but, but I don't think, I think we could have come up with bigger words for what I'm going to talk about today, because today I'm going to talk to you about how to establish a consistent prayer life, a consistent prayer life. And um, I'll share a little bit about uh, my journey uh, here, but let's let's just start with the scripture. It'll be on the screen, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump right in here. Uh, some of you may remember this in Matthew 21. Uh, we find Jesus going into the temple, right? So Jesus goes into the temple, and let's just read it here. It says, "Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple." And overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, so he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame and the, came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Isn't that interesting? They're upset. People are getting healed in the temple. And he said to them, do you hear what these are saying? 
And they, uh, they said to him, and said to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Let's pray. And, uh, you know, how many of you believe that God talks? That's, you know, it's really interesting in the, in the Old Testament, it talks about idols. It says a guy gets a piece of wood, cuts it in half. With half of it, he builds a fire to warm himself. And the other half, he makes into an idol to worship. Kind of dumb, right? I mean, <laughs> so we have a God who talks, and he wants to speak to you by the Holy Spirit today. I'm going to give you some insights from the Word of God. I'm going to share some specific things that you can do, but ultimately, you need to hear from God today, and he wants to talk to you. He wants to give you something. He wants to put something in your basket that's going to take you to another level in your relationship with God and your effectiveness for his kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, and we thank you, Lord, for your word that will not return void, but will accomplish what it's sent to do. We thank you even as I speak this morning, Holy Spirit, the word says you're going to take the word and you're going to make it real in our lives. Not only that, as we speak the word, it's going to not return void, but it will accomplish what it's sent to do, and I believe there will be miracles healings, breakthroughs, turnarounds, revelations, insights, understandings that will come even as we speak this morning because it's not going to be my words, but it's going to be your words. And I thank you for that. And we promise to give you all the credit and all the glory in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. amen. So here we have Jesus coming into the temple and he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Notice he didn't say a house of praise, a house of giving, even a house of miracles. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus names his house anything else other than a house of prayer. Why did he do that? Because tr prayer is what brings praise, is what brings provision, it was, is what brings the power of God into our lives. It all happens through prayer. And so today I want to give you seven reasons on how to establish a consistent, persistent prayer life. Um, uh, John Wesley, who was a great evangelist, who uh, I actually went to his house years ago in England. He was a little short guy. And he rode 250,000 miles on horseback preaching the gospel. Preached to multitudes of people with no microphone, no sound system. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people came to Jesus all through Britain. And then he came over to the U.S. Same thing began to happen through him. And when I was in his house, his bedroom is upstairs in his little house. He's buried in the backyard. I high-fived him, you know, when I was there. And... Um, Anyhow, uh, he, he, uh, off the side of his bedroom, there was a little room that was built off the side of his bedroom, and you go in there, and it's where he knelt, and he had a Bible there that he prayed from the Bible. His habit was to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, every morning, and he would spend an hour or two in prayer, and then he would walk right out of his house and go right to the mines. And so he would go and preach to the miners who were coming to work. And they would mock him and throw, you know, vegetables and things at him, you know, tomatoes and all this kind of stuff and everything. But then the conviction of the Holy Spirit would come upon them 
and they would give their life to Jesus. And uh, uh, somebody asked uh, John Wesley, uh, uh, was a, actually a, like a, a newspaper person and some kind of a, a news person that came to him and they said, um, why do all these people come, you know, to hear you? These like thousands of people come and they want to hear you, you know, preach or speak. He said, well, he says, the reason is I just set myself on fire every day and people come to watch me burn. John Wesley said this, God does nothing. God does nothing except through consistent, persistent prayer. And so if you're waiting for God to do something in your life, he's waiting for you to pray because he will not do anything until you or somebody prays. Because God has created the world in a way that he's given People, man, Adam and Eve. He gave dominion to Adam and Eve in the world. He, he um, delegated the world and the authority of the world to them. And God will not interrupt that authority. He will not just break in on his own. He is the perfect delegator. And so when he gave them, that's why, you know, do you ever wonder? I, you know, I, I, have you ever thought about this? When, when Eve, you know, he tells Adam and Eve, you can eat anything you want, but don't eat, you know, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, think about this. It wasn't just that they, that what they ate of it, now death was going to come, into the world, come into their life, but it was going to come into all of us. Are you all there? Every horrible thing that's happening in our world, the war in Ukraine and all the atrocities that are happening. And, you know, yesterday a guy goes to a grocery store and kills t 10 people. That's yesterday's news. All these horrible things happened when Eve went and took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and ate of it and then gave it to her husband, Adam, who should have been taking charge in the situation. He failed. He dropped the ball and ate of that tree, that act brought everything horrible and wicked and, and perverted and whatever word you want to put out there into the world. Now, if I was God, <laughs> if I was God and I saw Eve heading toward the tree, I would have jumped in the way and said, stop, <laughs> you don't know what you're about to do. But anybody notice that God didn't do that? He let her do that because he won't intervene. He gave us free will, freedom of choice, and he is not going to take that way. Take that away. You can choose. In fact, today, you're going to choose whether or not you're going to establish a consistent, persistent prayer life. And let me tell you, if you understood that God's just waiting. See, God is good. He has a lot of good things he wants to do in your life, but he cannot do them until you pray. And pray is, prayer is not a work. Uh, prayer is not some kind of Christian duty that we do. I'm a Christian. I guess Christians are supposed to pray. Christian is your lifeline to the miracles of God. It's, your, it's, the, it's the way uh, Isaiah 64, 4 says, I has not seen nor has ear heard of a God like you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. God's just waiting. He's waiting to hear this. Isaiah 30 says, he's waiting to hear the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. So you're like, well, I'm waiting for God. And he's like, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> 
As soon as you agree with me about what I want to do in your life, then it's going to be released. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my story. So uh, I got tricked into pastoring uh, in 1980, and a friend of mine invited me to come to his church. I was living in Idaho, my, Pam and I and our kids. And a friend of mine, uh, who is now a missionary in Portugal, called me up and said, hey, uh, I want you to come and pastor this church. And I had visited this church. It's in a small town of 450 people. Pretty much everybody's related to each other in Missouri. I called it misery. And, and, uh, and so he's at this little church, and it's in a 118-year-old building. And, and I had visited the church, and he said, hey, I want you to, I'm going to plant another church in Kansas City, and I want you to come and pastor this church. And I said, I'll pray for whoever it is, but it's not me. And he said, all right, well, you pray about it. And so I prayed, like, this might be me. So we went to, and to visited the church for 10 days, and God confirmed that we So I went from business, I was a businessman, and I went from business to being a pastor, just like that. And so here I am, I'm pastoring this church, and, and uh, when I got there, there's 100 people in the church. And so I, you know, I'm just this young guy, I'm full of zeal, we're going to win the world to Jesus from Archie, Missouri, you know, <laughs> and all the, all my congregation are sitting there with a straw, you know, a piece of straw hanging out of their mouth saying, yeah, you go for it, pastor, just keep going, you're going to do good. And uh, so evidently you haven't been in the Midwest. Okay, so I'm pastoring this church and I'm like... We're going to, I'm just, you know, we had, our services were at least two hours long. We had at least an hour of worship every Sunday morning. And, uh, and we, we didn't believe we had good worship unless we had lost our voice and we were completely wringing wet with sweat. That's how we, had, you know, was, was that a good worship service? And then I would preach at least an hour uh, from Genesis to Revolutions and uh, preach the whole Bible and and all this, and uh, in fact, one day, one of the guys in the church, he brought a video camera to church, and he said, hey, pastor, would you mind if I videoed you preaching? And I'm like, yeah, sure, and he put it behind a kind of a curtain, so I couldn't see it, but so he videoed me, and then he gave me the VH, <laughs> tells you what that was, like, the, the, the tape, right? And he said, you might want to watch this sometime, and I just took it home and threw it on the top of the TV and never paid any attention to it till one day I thought, I probably should watch that video. So I sat there, and I'm watching myself preach, and I fall down on my face in front of the TV and say, oh God, these people have to endure this every Sunday. <laughs> and so for three years, I'm just going 100 miles an hour, I'm, we're going to do this, da, da 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 and at the end of three years, our church grows from 100 to 60 people. <laughs> I would have left the church, but I was the pastor. I... <laughs> so we're in this town. And uh, there are other churches, like in the Midwest, it's like in Missouri, Midwest area, every town has three certain denominations. I won't go into what it is, but there's, every town has the same three denominations. Well, it would be Christian, Baptist, and 
Methodist. So every, every town has that. And then we're the weird people because we're the Pentecostal charismatic church, right? And, uh, and the, the, the other pastors, especially one specific one, didn't have any problem letting me know that the whole town hated us. And so at about year five, I'm standing in my driveway, and I've had enough. I'm like, God, what do I have to do to get out of this town? <laughs> what do I have to do to leave this town? And he speaks, you know, there's times when God speaks to you, you're not expecting, he's like going to answer you like right then. Well, he answers me immediately, <laughs> He says this, standing next to my car in my gravel driveway, right? And God says, when you learn how to pray, you can leave this town. As God is my witness, I dropped to my knees right there and lifted my hands up and said, teach me now. <laughs> and so, you know, I, uh, so that began a journey for me. All of a sudden, I just had this desire in me. And I believe that, by the way, I just want to give you three things. That you're at one of three places in your prayer life right now. Either one, you have a desire to pray. Yes, I really, really want to pray. I really like to do that. But then you have to go to the next step, which you have to develop the discipline of prayer. Right? That's that dirty word that we don't really mention in church anymore. This Discipline. But if you go, if you go have the desire to pray and you begin to commit to the discipline of prayer, then eventually you'll come into the delight of prayer. You begin to say, I mean, I can't live without spending time with Jesus and, you know, spending that time in prayer with him. So anyhow, so, so that started me on a journey where I've, I want to learn about prayer. So I, I got every tape I could find. I got every teaching I could find on prayer, and I listened to them, and I was just trying to learn about prayer, and, um, and I began to pray. I began to realize that one of Jesus' disciples one day, about, you know, the disciples were with him for about three and a half years, and about midpoint, one of his disciples saw that there was a connection between Jesus' prayer life and him working miracles every day, Right? They're like, you know, they kept watching him. He's like, where's Jesus? I don't know. He got up early and he went off somewhere. And then they, they go to find him and he's like praying, you know. Before dawn, he would get up early in the morning. And now think about this. Jesus is God. Everybody, how many don't know that Jesus is God? Just want to check here. Jesus is God. And, uh, and so, I, I'm, you know, I'm, like, I'm trying to think about who did Jesus pray through, pray to? Dear Jesus, Yes. <laughs> what do you need? <laughs> well, I just want to lay out my, you know, prayer request. <laughs> so why? <laughs> Did you ever figure out if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do you need to pray? Come on. And so now why did Jesus pray? Because Jesus, when he was on the earth, did everything he did he did as the son of man, not the son of God. Okay? There's a big distinction between that. When Jesus came to earth, he never stopped being God. He always was God, always will be God. He is the, you know, the second person of the Trinity. He is God. But when he came to earth, because Adam and Eve had lost the right to rule and reign in the earth, it had to be a man 
a human being that would win back the right for people to rule and reign in the earth again, okay? And so it says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself of all his rights and privileges as God and became a man. That's what it says. And he became a servant of men. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why did he do that? Again, I already gave you the number one reason. But number two reason is to show us how to live. To show us this is how you live this Christian life. So if Jesus, oh, if it says he would spend all night in prayer, he'd go off early in prayer. Finally, one of his disciples noticed he prays and then he comes back and works miracles. He prays and then he walks on water, okay? He prays and then he feeds multitudes, okay? So then one of the, you know, the disciples were not that bright, right? Okay, kind of like some of us here, all right? There's actually an advantage to not being very bright, okay? And so one of them, like, the light goes on. And, he's, and this is Luke chapter 11. He says, uh, uh, Lord, teach us to pray like John the Baptist teaches his disciples. So he figured out, you know, there's a connection between prayer and God moving and God working. So teach us to pray. So there's, there's a beginning point for you. Uh, and this would be in uh, my reason number one. Let's go to reason number one, and then I'll jump to show you all. So the first thing that you and I need to pray is we need a reason to pray. Why would I spend time in prayer? Because, uh, and let me just say this. So over, so I started, before I say that, I, before, uh, as I began to learn about prayer, God began to teach me, the more I began to understand why I was praying, and, and the more I, and I would just go and say, God, I don't know how to pray. You got to teach me how to pray. The more that happened, all, the more I started seeing God move in my life, in our church. Our church began to, it moved to another town. I got out of that town, <laughs> praise God. <laughs> and our church began to explode, and we had miracles during the services of people getting healed and zapped by God and all that. And the only thing we can tell that we were doing different is that we were spending time in prayer. Come on. And so we, the first thing we need is a reason to pray. So let's go to the last slide, Anna, right? Okay, Anna, let's go to the last slide. So I'm just going to give, in case I don't get to these, uh, you know, before 3 o'clock this afternoon. Um, I'm just kidding, just kidding. I should have brought my lunch. I should have brought my lunch. All right. So here are, and we're going to go back over these real quick. Seven things you need to establish a prayer life. Number one, you need a reason to pray. Number two, you need a time to pray. We'll get back to these. Number three, you need a place to pray. Number four, you need a conviction about prayer. Number five, you need words to pray. What am I going to pray? <laughs> That's the biggest thing, you know. Uh, you know, when, 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 you know, somebody says, well, I spent three hours praying this afternoon. You're like, what? Well, what in the world did you talk about? I start to pray, and I was like about minute five. I'm thinking, hmm, man, I've been praying a long time here. I've run out of stuff to pray. You need words to pray. Number six, you need partners in prayer. And I just want to really emphasize that today. And number seven, you need a track to run on. Okay, so let's begin to... 
uh, talk about those. So uh, let me tell you just one more story. How many of you like stories? Okay. All right. That's good. Anybody else like stories? I'm just kidding. So I'm going along on this prayer journey. And so that I started uh, in, it was like 1980, uh, started around 1982. I started to really go after this whole thing of prayer. And then in 1983, we had a citywide fast with 600 churches participating in a fast. And it was a 21-day fast. And uh, we had prayer 18 hours a day for the 21 days uh, going on. And uh, it was another pastor that called this in prayer, this, this uh, fasting and prayer in Kansas City. But anyhow, so um, uh, the Lord really showed me that this was God, that I needed to commit to this 21 days of fasting and prayer. So I fasted just water for 21 days. And on the 17th day of the fast, I was in my office on, in the afternoon, and I, my office was in my house on the second story, and it was right in the middle of the afternoon, and I'm down on my knees at the couch in my office, and I'm praying over Ezekiel 37. Now, Ezekiel 37 is the valley of the dry bones. That's what that is. And so it's talking about you know, we're just dry bones, and, and the bones are disconnected, and the bones are dead, and all this. And so I'm praying, this is 1983, and I'm saying, God, God, the church in America, we are just dry bones. That's who we are, oh God. We're disjointed. We're not connected. God, you need to do something. I'm just like praying intensely, and I happen to look up while I'm praying, and I have these windows at the back of my office, uh, onto the backyard, and I look up, and I have these big oak trees in the backyard, and they're on fire. Literally, flames are shooting up through these trees, and I jump to my feet. Oh, my gosh, we got a fire in the backyard, and I start to leave the room to run and get a hose and, you know, do something about the fire, and then I realize this is not real. I'm having a vision. I haven't, you know, I've I've visualized a lot of things, but I've had very few where it's like, this is in technicolor, this is like real, this is like happening right now. I'm not imagining this. And so I'm watching these flames, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, this is the fire of nuclear destruction. Says those words. I realized that America had sinned enough that we were now at the point where judgment would come upon the nation and it would come in the form of nuclear war. Now, that might not be meaningful to a lot of people, but one mile from my house was a missile silo with a missile that's set up to go to Russia or someplace, a long-range uh, ballistic missile. And so right away, I'm racing in my mind, oh, God, how do I explain this? How do I help my family? How do I protect this? How do I protect the church? What do I do? I'm sitting there. I'm just freaking out in my mind trying to figure out how do I, it's getting ready to happen, and what do I do? And then the Holy Spirit says, or, or, this is the fire of my Holy Spirit being poured out on America. And then he said, which one it is, is up to you. 
Which one it is is up to you. And I knew when he said you, he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Folks, we're at this point right now. We're at this point right now. Don't kid yourself thinking everything's hunky-dory and everything, you know, the world's just going to go on like it is. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. I posted um, uh, 2 Timothy 3, the first few scriptures, on Facebook just a few weeks ago. In the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers, you know, of themselves, boastful, prideful, arrogant, disobedient to parents and all that. I just posted that scripture on my Facebook page, and boom, Facebook put a sign over it saying, false information. <laughs> false warning, false information. I'm like, okay. Problem is, Facebook, you don't matter. <laughs> the guy who wrote it matters. <laughs> so, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying, okay, uh, I, I just don't think things are going to get better in America. I know everybody probably waiting for everything to get better. I just don't think it's going to get better. Short of a massive awakening of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to get better. So, how can I be ready and how can I be prepared? I'll tell you how you be prepared. A consistent, persistent prayer life. That's right. Getting your life together, spending time with God because then you're going to, you know, it's, it, the Bible's real clear in Philippians. It says, it says, don't be anxious about anything or don't be stressed. Don't be worried about anything. Don't be overwhelmed by anything, but everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Come on. And so that's what we do with stress. That's what we do with pressure. That's what we do with worries and anxiety. We come to the Lord in prayer, and we cast our cares on him because he cares for us. So number one, we need a reason to pray. So by the way, when I had that vision, I became a committed prayer. <laughs> really. I used to walk. I walk around the high school in our town, and I used to do a lot of walking during the week and praying. And, and, and the, Missouri is called the heart of America. Kansas City is called the heart of America. And I would walk the streets, and I would literally cry out and say, oh, God. You know, uh, let me just give you one other scripture with this for you to understand what I was doing. In Ezekiel chapter 20, God tells the people of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel that they, they have got, their corruption has gone too far. The priests are corrupt, the, the leaders are corrupt, the prophets are corrupt, everybody's corrupt. And it says, and God says in Ezekiel 20, so I determined that I'm going to have to pour out my wrath. Then it says this, but I searched a man among them who would stand in the gap and build up a wall so that I would not have to judge them. What was he searching for? An intercessor. Someone who would pray 
You know, when, when, God, when God's judgment came upon the people of Israel when Moses was alive, it says God began to judge them and the people began to die. Now, I'm not saying that God's out to kill people. I'm just saying that this is what it says in the Old Testament. People began to die and Moses turned to Aaron, who was the high priest, and he said, go get some incense and put it on an incense burner and go stand between the living and the dead and stop the plague. That's the picture of what we're called to be and do. We're called to stand between the living and the dead. Listen, the people of the world, they do not know what's going on. I walked to the mall, whatever that, what's that yeah, the Northwest Mall. And people are just going through there like, duh, duh, I'll have some of that and I'll buy some of that. And I, do I look good? Oh, man, hallelujah. <laughs> and one of the, I was at Tiffany's or something like that. I'm asking this gal, you know, why are there so many guards at the door? I mean, I couldn't believe it. There's, a lot of the places have two guards to keep people. They, literally, they were only letting one person in, in, in the stores at a time. People were waiting outside. You had to make an appointment to go in the store. I said, you know, what's the deal? She said, well, I don't know about those stores, but we got things that are a million dollars here in our store, you know, one item. I said, well, give me two. <laughs> this is a stick-up. <laughs> <laughs> so people are oblivious. And the Bible says in Thessalonians that when the world is asleep, you and I are to stay awake. Come on, come on. We're to be awake. Jesus said to his disciples, you got to, he says, could you not tarry with me one hour? He said, don't sleep, because if you stay awake, you will not enter into temptation. And so this is all, can you see, this is a principle through the whole Bible. And so we need a reason to pray. Let's go to the second thing. Number two, we need a time to pray. The most likely time, it doesn't have to be, you can have any time to pray. But I believe in establishing a time of prayer. Most of the scriptures in the Bible talk about praying in the morning. Jesus rose up in the morning. David says in Psalms 5, uh, Give heed to, my, to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice shall you hear in the morning. Now, why would we pray in the morning? Because you're starting your day. Amen. And you want to get ready for the day. You know, we have too many spiritual streakers in the body of Christ <laughs> who don't get up in the morning. They go out the door without their armor on. And then they wonder how come they got all beat up during the day. Man, the devil just beat me up. Well, did you get dressed? <laughs> come on. That's a serious deal. There's a real devil out there. And he really wants to kill you, steal from you, and destroy you. That is his agenda. But if you get the armor of God on, when he sees you, he thinks he's looking at Jesus. Oh, my gosh, wait a minute. I'm messing with the wrong person. This person got dressed this morning. Is this too much for Sunday morning? Oh, okay, all right. I'm just, I just better check every once in a while because I'll just jump off the deep end here. <laughs> so we need to we need to have a time so I'm talking about establishing a habit of prayer that so we need a time to pray the third thing we need is we need a place to prayer to pray 
Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut the door, some versions say go into your closet, it actually means your bedroom, go into your room, and when you have, and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That ought to be enough of a motive right there. If you pray in secret, God's going to reward you on the outside. Come on, somebody. And you know, it's absolutely true. I've now been, you know, involved in prayer since, like, 19, seriously, since, yeah, come on. I agree. There it is. Oh, I'm sorry. I spoke too loud. All right, here we go. There's a prayer warrior in the making. Okay. So I've been committed to prayer since 1983, however many years that is to now, but uh, I'm not a mathematician, but I know it's a lot of years. 39 years, thank you. I've never, ever regretted that I've learned to spend time with God in prayer. Never regretted that. And have seen so many miraculous doors. I've been in 41 different countries and ministered all over the world. Uh, you know, I have no debt. I don't owe any money to anything. Uh, you know, everything we have is free and clear. Uh, you know, we just see God answer prayer over and over and over again. And so if you pray in secret, Jesus said, God's going to reward you out in the open. We all like the rewards, but we need to understand how they get how they come all right the fourth thing that you need to pray is a conviction to pray and so I, I you need so here's how I look at it when I began to understand that prayer let me just say it this way prayer is the most important thing in a Christian's life that's what I believe that's my conviction so when you understand that prayer, so the Bible, uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 33, he said, seek first, what, when, what, seek what, first, what, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek what, first, not second, not third, because most people, here's how we view prayer, when I get time, I'm going to pray. You're not ever going to have time to pray. It's not ever going to happen. You know, you know you, I, yeah, I need to pray about that. And, uh, you know, like if somebody comes up and asks us to pray for them, I don't say, well, we'll pray for you later. We pray for them right now. Right? And, and so, so prayer must be the central priority of your life. So what does that mean? That means you build your life around prayer. You don't add prayer to your life. Did you all catch that? I'm telling you how to have a consistent, persistent prayer life. And that is everything, the most important time. Here's it, here it is. Here's my experience in all the 39 years that I've been praying. And that is prayer is never, ever wasted time. I think, wow, man, I just got so much to do. I think it was uh, John Wesley, I think it was who, another who, who said this. He said, uh, when I have a light schedule, I just pray like two hours. When I have a heavy schedule of things to do, I pray four hours. Now, I'm not telling you to pray four hours. I'm telling you to start somewhere. But in other words, he understood 
and I've experienced this, and some of you could also stand up here and testify, you found out that when you pray, like, okay, you're going to go and have this meeting at work, and you know it's, it's going to be a tough situation. There's going to be some, you know, people letting you know what they think, and all, you know, having this, you know, you're going to walk into this meeting, and you don't know what's going to happen. I'll tell you what, you spend an hour in a prayer, hour in prayer before you go to that meeting, you'll be shocked. You'll see the hand of God moving in the midst of that meeting. And at the very least, you're just not going to get all flustered. You're going to be fine because God's got control of my life. I got all there. And so we build, so we to, for prayer to be a conviction means we build our life around prayer. What does that mean? You got to go to bed early if you're going to make morning time your prayer. See, you know, I, I you know, tell young guys, you know, come on, you need to establish a prayer life. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, you know. And then they stay up till 2 in the morning. And then the, the alarm goes off, and they hit the alarm, and then they wake up at 9.30 or 10, and they feel all guilty and all this. Oh, my gosh, I missed my time of prayer. Yeah, because you should have planned it the night before. <laughs> so we build our life around prayer, not add prayer to our life. Number five. We need words to pray, words to pray. Now, I'm big on this. I have all kinds of uh, what I call confession sheets and, and lists and things like that. I have, I have a list of what's called apostolic prayers, which are prayers that are prayed by an apostle in the Bible. I have all these prayers. So I'm not, when I get up to pray, I'm not trying to, I don't, I don't know what I should pray about. I've got stuff to pray. If something doesn't come immediately to me, I've got, th I've got things that I can pray. And let me just say this. The Bible says, or John, the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 5, I quoted this a couple times during the, the, um, the encounter this weekend. 1 John chapter 5, it says this. It says, if, if we pray anything that is according to his will, we can know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the request we make of him. So if we pray anything according to his will, God's going to hear it and God's going to answer it. He's committed to. God stands by his word. So how do I know for sure that I can pray something and God's going to answer it? You know how? It's by praying out of this book. This is my prayer book right here. It's called the word of God. I find the promises of God. I find what God wants to do in the Bible. I write those verses out, and I pray those verses over my life, over my marriage, over my family, over my kids, grandkids, over my church. Uh, oh, and, hey, it says, well, I'll get there in a minute, <laughs> over everything. You say, well, I don't know what to pray about. Well, it would be a good idea to pray over our government right now. Don't you all think that might be a good idea, right? How about the abortion issue? I don't want to create a, you know, a, a, somebody picketing out there right now, but I think enough's enough. I think it's time for a change. Uh, but it's not going to happen. It's going to need God's intervention. All right, so we need words to pray. And I'm a big believer in praying out loud. Let's just have a moment of silent prayer. God's like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Could you speak up a little? Now, certainly God can hear your heart, and I believe in communing with God and speaking to God and so on, 
But God wants us to pray. In fact, Jesus, when he gave the disciples, remember I said, one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. That's Luke chapter 11. Then here's Jesus' response. When you pray, this is Jesus now, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. Let's all say that. When you pray, say. Okay? Speak with your mouth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our trespasses, our debts. We forgive those who trespass against us. And here's the biggie. And lead us not into temptation. Come on. Defeat the enemy. Uh, David says this. The King David, he says, he says, every morning I rise up and destroy the wicked of the land. I'm like, how in the world did he do that? I mean, did he, like, jump out of bed and go to battle, and he's out there with his sword just whooping everybody? No, he was doing it in prayer. He was defeating the enemy of the land first thing in the morning. You need to get up and get a jump on the devil before he gets a jump on you. And so when you pray, say, pray out loud. And then number six, I think, yeah, we need partners in prayer. Prayer. When John, when Peter and John, they had healed the man at the gate, beautiful, and remember, you know, silver and gold, I don't have what I do have, but give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. They were called on the carpet for healing this guy, right? And they were told, they asked them the question that the, the religious people, and that's going to be our biggest battle, is with religious people, they said, what name did you heal this guy in? And they said, well, let it be known to you that at the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man stands before you whole. They're like, okay, don't speak in that name anymore. Now, we're coming to that place right now, folks. Come on. Canada's already there. There's going to be a place where, like, you, don't you speak the name of Jesus anymore because that's divisive and that's being judgmental and that's, you know... Close-minded, yeah, you need to close your mind. It's already blown, come on. The devil's been, you know, like, he's got like a, like a chariot race going on in your mind right now. You need to shut your mind. A better idea, program it in the word of God. So anyhow, so when Peter and John were told, we, we command you, don't ever preach in, the, in this name anymore, you know what they did? They went and had a prayer meeting immediately. They went right from there. It says they gathered all the believers together, and they began to pray. And they said, Lord, and they began to quote Psalms 2. They were praying the word. And they said, it says in your word that the, the rulers and the, and the leaders are going to come against the Lord and his Christ. And, see how, and they said, see how they're threatening us? But we ask you that you would grant your servants to speak with all boldness and that signs and wonders would be done in the name of Jesus. When they were told no, they said, we're just going to take it to another level. Come on. Not only are we going to not speak in the name of Jesus, we're going to go out and do great signs and wonders in his name. Are we ready for this? Are we ready when they start to tell you, you can't go to church and you... You can't talk about Jesus, and you can't. You, the Bible is a terrible book because it's a judgmental book. You better believe it's a judgmental book, and you want to get out of the judgment. 
Not judgmental in the sense of condemning, but some judgmental in the sense of you don't have to be judged if you just give your life to Jesus Christ. So we need partners in prayer. And so they went to the church, and it says, and they all lifted up their voice to pray. Now, just a couple of scriptures, and we're almost done here. Another two and a half hours. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says this. This is the Apostle Paul. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions or all who are in authority, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all people will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So here he's saying that we need to be praying for those. Whether we agree with them or not, we need to pray for those. When Paul wrote this, I think it was Nero that was Caesar at that time. And he was killing Christians and burning them at the stake. And Paul says, you need to pray for those in authority. But also notice he says, for God desires that all men will be saved. I do. I told the guys in the encounter that I do a four-mile walk around my neighborhood several laps, and um, while I'm walking, I just pray in the Spirit, and I just bless the houses and the neighbors and pray over all these people and, uh, and all that. And since my, I've been doing it for a while now, uh, but since I've been doing it now, I've, I've literally brought several of my neighbors to the Lord. I didn't do anything to do it. It would be by, you know, uh, uh, one next-door neighbor. I'll just tell one story on this. When we first moved into our, we had first moved to our, our subdivision, uh, a young couple moved in next door, and we're in a townhome. And so our wall and their walls are joined together, this new young couple. Well, this new young couple, they really like their music. <laughs> I mean, they really like their music. And they want us to like it, too. Now, I couldn't hear all the trebles, but the bass was vibrating the furniture in our living room. <laughs> now, I haven't met him yet, so I, uh, I, uh, I, so I, I got I to go talk to him. So I go over, and I have to knock on the door loud enough to above the sound of the, of the music. And the young guy comes to the door, and I said, hey, you know, I appreciate you, that your music's great and all that stuff, but really, it's coming over into our, and he's like, he just looked at me like, yeah, thanks, yeah. So he turns it down. He never turned it back up again and all that. So I thought, welcome to the neighborhood. Way to go, Fred. Way to represent Jesus, you know. <laughs> so a little time goes by, and one day uh, I, their driveway is right next to ours, and I pull up into my driveway, and there's a man standing in the driveway. It turns out to be his father, and he's got this brace on his leg, and so I'm in my driveway, he's just standing there, and I yell across and I say, what's wrong with your leg? He goes, I've, you know, blown all these things, I'm going to have an operation next week, and that's the deal. I said, well, how about I come and pray for you? He's like, whatever, you know. So I go over to his driveway, I kneel down in front of him and grab his knee, 
and I just begin to command his knee to be healed. And that's it. I pray for him, and then I go into my house, and that's it. Uh, two weeks later, I see the guy again, and I said, hey, how's your leg doing? He says, I didn't have to have any operation. I got healed, you know. And so, and so uh, a little time goes by, and we come into the pandemic. So this was happening just before 2020, the beginning of 2020. We come into the pandemic, and a few, we're like a few months into the pandemic, and all of a sudden the son shows up at my door. And he says, um, hey, um, can I borrow an egg? <laughs> like, sure, you can have two. And so I go get a couple of eggs, and I bring it out to him. And, and he says, well, the, the real reason I'm here is that I've been in bed for um, a month uh, in depression because I lost my job, and I, and I need you to pray for me. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. I put an arm, and I just treat him like a, a son. You know, I said, it's going to be okay. You're young. It's going to be good. You're going you're gonna to be fine and all that. And I said, and I have an anointing, pray for jobs and all that. He said, and he starts crying. He goes, you don't understand. God made me come over here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, I, uh, so I pray for him to get a job. And then I don't see him for a, a week and a half or so. And uh, he, I see him in his yard. And I said, hey, uh, how's... How's the job thing? Oh, he said, I'm so sorry. I should have came and told you. The very next day, I got three offers on jobs that I didn't even apply for. <laughs> and I took, and they're all really high-level jobs. And, and uh, I agreed on one, and they're paying me before I even go to work there. They're already paying me. And I'm like, hallelujah. <laughs> then I come by, and then some time goes by. In fact, a little time, it comes up to Christmas. We hear a knock at the door, and here's the father and the son standing at our door with this, this big basket of stuff for us for Christmas. And they're standing there, and they go, you're the only neighbor we do this for. We love you. <sighs> then a little time goes by, and our church is called the Bridge uh, in uh, Bridge Central Coast in, in Santa Maria. And uh, I didn't know this, but evidently they, they showed up at our church when I wasn't there. And out in front of our church, we have these big banners around these close-in things where we have food and all this kind of stuff. And one of them has a picture of me on the banner, on this big, you know, thing. And he, he comes to me and he says, I didn't know you were famous. <laughs> <laughs> and so they started attending our church. And that's happened now. Three different people in our neighborhood. All I do is walk and pray the neighborhood. And they ask me. That God opens the door for them to get healed, for God to touch them. What if you not? What if you walked your neighborhood? Or even better, if you have kids in school, how about you walk around the perimeter of the school and begin to bless the school and drive out every demon in that school? Come on. I did that when my kids were in high school. That's when you learn how to really pray as a parent was when your kids <laughs> hit high school. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> and so when my kids hit high school, there was witches in our high school and all this stuff. And I started just walking. Every, I'd go like three or four times a week and walk the perimeter of the school. Finding, after a while, you know, it's like, who's this strange guy walking around the school? You know, we need to check him out, call the police. And so when they found out that I was a pastor in the city, they're like, then they would see me, hey, Pastor Fred, you know, walking around the school. Well, anyhow, out of that, we had a revival breakout amongst the students. 
and they ended up at my house on Sunday nights. And, they, and, and the witches and everybody, they're all coming and they're all getting born again and getting rocked by Jesus. And all I was doing, now remember I said that God is searching for a man to stand in the gap? This is what I would do. I'm in the heart of America during this time. And I would walk the streets and I would cry out and I would say, oh God, if nobody's praying, I'm praying. Now I know that others were praying, but just in case... If you can't, here it is. It says, and God searched for a man, Ezekiel 20, to stand in the gap, to make up a wall. And here's the saddest words in the Bible. It says, and he could find no one. Find no one. All right, one more scripture about partners in prayer. And that is, I want to speak to the men. Is there any men in this church? Do you identify as men? I just want to make sure. Double check. Here, I identify as an anointed preacher, okay? So, it says this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore, Paul says, I want the men. Everybody say, the men. I want the men to pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. Now, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says, I want the women to pray. You can search it. There's no place in the Bible where it says, I want the women to pray. Why? Because the women are going to pray. Well, prayer's just for women and kids, you know. We just like those weak women. They just, you know, they're just like dependent on God. And But us men, we don't need God. You know, we got strength and stupidity and all this. So Paul had to actually put out an advertisement saying, where are the men? The men need to get together and pray. And so I am a believer that you need to not just establish a personal prayer life, but you need to be a part of a prayer group. I don't care if it's you go on Zoom and you get with three or four other men and say, we're going to get up at a certain time in the morning or this day of the week and we're going to pray for an hour together for one another and for our families and for our pastors. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray. It's time for the men to stand up and pray. I've been to prayer meetings where they thank me for being there because I'm the only man in the prayer meeting. We have a man here. Oh, my gosh. All right. I think you got the point. All right. Number seven. And then we need a track to run on. And that's where, uh, again, I believe in setting, uh, having things that I'm praying about. I'm going to run on this track. I use the Lord's Prayer a lot as a track to run on. That's a whole other teaching. All right. Enough of that. Let's pray that we pray about that. Let's all stand up. and So you're at one of three places, as I said. You're either at the place where I have a desire. Maybe there's four places. Number one, I just figured out I need to pray. <laughs> uh, number two, I have a desire to pray, uh, but I need to go from desire to discipline. So what it is, you're going to have discipline for a period of time. Then during the, your discipline or you're establishing a habit of prayer, all of a sudden you're going to go, Oh, my gosh, I can't live without prayer. It's like breathing. It's like eating. I've got to have it. I I can't live without prayer. 
And so you're either at that place, I have a desire to pray, and you're, or you're now establishing a discipline of prayer, but there'll be a point where all of a sudden it's not a discipline anymore. It is not a discipline for me to pray. Not in any way, shape, or form. It's, here's, how I, here's how I say it. I get to pray. I get to pray. God, <laughs> the Bible says we're to be workers together with God. How do you work with, together with God? You pray. That's how you work with God. God of the universe has invited you and I to join him in agreement with what he wants done on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's just looking for someone. He's looking right now in Costa Mesa. I just want to find someone who is faithful, someone who will cry out to me, someone who will lift up their voice and say, God, enough is enough. We invite you into this situation. God is looking for people. And I'm going to pray right now. You know what? God's going to give you a grace to get started. Maybe you just need to get started or to go to another level. And I pray that God's going to show you some people that you need to meet together with, either on Zoom or in person or however it's going to be, that you're going to make prayer the priority. Prayer needs to be the priority of authentic church. If we want authentic Christianity, it's only going to happen if we have an authentic God that's moving in our midst, okay? So lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. And you said, my house shall be a house of prayer. If it's not a house of prayer, then we're going to get ripped off. The enemy's going to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. But we determined right now we're going to be a house of prayer. And let me take it to another level. Lord, your word says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So this is the house of God. My body is the house of God, and my body is going to be a house of prayer and when I pray, miracles are going to happen and children are going to begin to praise the Lord because of God's presence coming through our lives. Father, we pray this. Now, if you agree with that, say amen. 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 Now, if you're here today and you have not, you may not even know what I'm talking about. Who is this Jesus? And you need Jesus in your life. And everyone needs Jesus in their life. Not just as a crutch, but as a Lord of your life. And so if you're here today and you need Jesus, I'm going to pray this prayer. And it's not just this prayer that gets you born again. It's you saying, I need you, God, in my life. I need Jesus. I need you to forgive me. I need to turn my life over to you. If you think you're real smart and you're running your life, let me just tell you, somebody that's way older than you right now, you aren't that smart. Come on. Don't run your life. Let Jesus run your life. He'll do a lot better job than you could ever dream of. Come on. He'll take you places you never thought you'd go. He'll give you things you never thought you would get. He'll help you in ways you never thought you would get help. Come on, you can go to the therapist and all that, but there's a great therapist in heaven. He's called the Wonderful Counselor who can give you counsel and bring healing and restoration in your body. And so let's just pray this with you. Let's everybody pray. Jesus. Let's say it again. Jesus, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, that you came to earth, became a man, lived a perfect life, and then gave your life for me. You died on the cross, became sin for me, that I might receive the righteousness of God. You were buried and you rose again from the dead on the third day. And you're alive now.
and I need you, and I receive you as Savior and Lord, as the God of heaven and earth. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Bring me into your household and into your kingdom. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's give God some praise. Come on. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.